Welcome to 50% with Marcel Combs. On this podcast, we will travel a journey of leadership with each guest as she analyzes the ingredients that lead women to their current role. Marcel's goal is for you to walk away with tools to support your very own journey, no matter where your current destination is today. How are you? I'm good because I'm here with you. It makes oh, me happy. It's great. This is the most fun thing to get to interview all these women in leadership. It's just been oh, it's so fun. A blast. And they're amazing. Oh, amazing just women. A blast. Uh-huh. Um, today we're gonna listen to Carolyn, who is really a great friend of mine from my truly my professional life. She has worked in the home health and hospice industry for a number, yes, Mm -hmm. a number of years in a completely different part of the world, very cold part of the world. (laughs) Uh, But she she's been in my in my a lot of committees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marcel, you've served with her and and spoken with her. Well, and for you and I, because we both come from a clinical background, yes. Carolyn mm-hmm. is an RN. Yes, even spirits. though <laughs> That's right. Even though she's, she's really worked in some kind of administrative job yeah. for a while, she would, and she explains this in her interview, she kind of fell into mm-hmm. it. She wasn't, she never thought of herself in that business role. Mm-hmm. And you would never know that if you see her or talk to her or watch her run a committee. Yeah. She does have two kids and has raised them while working mm-hmm. uh, outside the home. So she she has spoken with me in different professional settings on generations mm-hmm. and what those generations at you work spoke are about that a lot, Marcel. Yeah. Yes, and she's she's got some great, um, just some great tips for for women mm-hmm. as they approach how do I how do I move up in financial leadership yeah. or professional leadership? Yeah, you know, she talked a lot about mentoring, and mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly something that you've done a lot over the years. And um, that she surrounds herself with team members is how she gets all her work done. Yes. And she also is good, uh, as I would say, you are a master at this, but recognizing someone else's talent and really where they're going to shine. And that's kind of how she started. That mm-hmm. She kept hearing, you know what, you should be in administration. She thought, no, I don't really want to do that. And so it's where you, you know, you go if you listen uh, to, to others and what God puts in front of you. But it's very similar with our backgrounds. And she talks a lot about building that team and, and how she always was able to have something she learned from others. So I like that about her. Uh, I think the interesting thing, too, it's a little different than the people that I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, but Carolyn comes from a big nonprofit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's been in business 127 years. So when since... 1893. Yeah, one of the beginners. Yes, and so her role in this organization is a little is a little different than than a lot of the other people that we've 
we've looked at, and she's done a great job at not only doing that, but she has a real interesting viewpoint on how they mentor the next generation yes. coming into yes. those roles. Because mm-hmm. Carolyn uh, is, <laughs> I, I would say she is younger than me, and I'm going to publicly say this so she can hear <laughs> it, but she is several years younger than me. But she is looking for who is the next person to replace me and what will they look like. Uh, One of the things I love that she has to say is that no, no one will really be exactly like you. But there are good things and bad things about that. The the good things are they bring new tools Mm -hmm. and new approaches and new ideas to something that... They add value to what you already have. Yes. And, and they're going to, if, if you have done this job right, they're going to mm-hmm. take the organization where it needs to go that you can't take it yourself. Yes, take it to the next level. She has worked for Holland Homes for a while, but mm-hmm. a lot of her work has been in hospice. And mm-hmm. so I know you are used mm-hmm. to taking people on that last journey, helping yeah. them live every day until they die. I know that's the hospice motto and what you have explained so many times to people. Well, it's close to your heart. And and I think when you asked her what inspires her, she talked about probably that that spirit we we all have when we do home care and hospice work is that uh, she has a true love with her parents and her mom. Mm -hmm. And she thinks every day when I get up, it is my job to help take care of those other people's moms and dads and uh, parents. And so when I think about what we do, Marcel, that's exactly it. Whatever part they're in that journey, what an honor to come into their home to provide Mm -hmm. those services. I love that she told us too that if you don't have a mentor uh, and not one presents itself, you go find one. So I think (laughs) she's a mentor and they're going to really enjoy her today. Oh, yes. And I want to say if you ever have a chance to meet Carolyn if you're ever up in the Michigan area. This is <laughs> this is a woman you would want to take to coffee and sit yeah, down absolutely. and just learn at her feet. So with that, let's just take listen to Carolyn. Carolyn is the Executive and Strategic Leader for Christian Living Services Community Services Division. Her team includes the leadership of Atrio Home Care, Faith Hospice, Reliance Community Care Partners, and Trillium Institute. Carolyn is a 1985 graduate of Butterworth Hospital School of Nursing, and she received her Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree from the University of Detroit Mercy in 1991. She worked in the Mercy Health System for 14 years before moving to work for Holland Homes Home Health Division in 1999. Carolyn has extensive experience leading change and process improvement to optimize quality and financial outcomes. She has 24 years of management experience in a physician practice and community health settings. She's an active member of the National Association for Home Care and Hospices Finance Association. Presently, Carolyn is the Executive Vice President of Home and Community-Based Services at Holland Home a position she has held since 2012. Carolyn is a native of Grand Rapids, Michigan. She and her husband, Jack, live in Hudsonville, Michigan, and enjoy camping and other outdoor activities with their family and friends. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, Marcel. 
Carolyn, I'm so happy to have you join us with 50% with Marcel Combs. We have known each other for a few years now, and, and you are just a woman that I admire, and I I think that the audience is going to really enjoy what you have to say. Well, thank you, Marcel. It's my pleasure, and it has been a pleasure working with you over the years, too. I think the audience would love to hear you do come from a clinical background, and you have your bachelor in nursing, but you are very much in a key leadership role and a, a very much a financial analysis type role in some ways or efficiencies. But uh, tell us about just your journey from how you got to where you are today. Like many of us, probably it wasn't a road I intended. I, I didn't go to school intending to go into leadership. I was a, a really shy child and probably no one was more surprised than me that it happened. But I think it was through a couple of bosses that I had over the years who saw something in me that mm -hmm. I didn't know was there, you know? And I think once I started working in management, I found I really liked it. I think mm -hmm. the, you know, the opportunity, I think, to use the resources that we have at our disposal, whether it's improving working conditions or efficiency or quality of care or financial performance, that's just fascinating fascinating stuff to me. Just uh -huh. love it. You're the executive vice president of home and community based, the senior executive vice president, correct? I might have left something out there. I know. I, I don't think there's a senior services. in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like a senior these days. Myself. I guess I am <laughs> a senior these days. I'm in the, as my adult children like to tell me, I'm in the high risk group when it comes to COVID. But, but I know that you had some other positions with your current company along the way. Talk to us about that. Sure. As you mentioned, I am a, a nurse by training. Uh, about 35 years ago, I started with that journey. And I worked uh, first in more hospital physician practice areas, got into some leadership roles. And uh, about 20 years ago, it just wasn't a good time for my family to be in a lot of, you know, doing those leadership roles that can take, you know, quite a bit of time and, and focus. Right. And so I decided to kind of a step away from that. And uh, one of the physicians I was working with at the time was a geriatrician. And he said, you know, I think you would really love home health and hospice. And he introduced me to a nonprofit organization in our area that I'd been familiar with already, but found that they had a really amazing program. And so I went there and just took a job as a case manager, RN, going out and doing home visits. And I just loved it. Loved mm -hmm. it. Did that for about three years. And, um, then was invited to move into a management position and just gradually over the years, the company I work for is Christian Living Services and we have a huge continuum of services. So not only home health and hospice, but also some companies that do waiver case management and PACE and skilled nursing facility, independent uh, assisted living. And um, so I had a chance to add some other companies into the, the team that I managed. And boy, I just learned a lot along the way and kept being intrigued by what was around the next corner. And that's how I ended up in, in this position. And I just love it. It's, it's been a great journey. 
Did you have along the way, Carolyn, a great mentor? And, and can you describe that person, whether they were female or male and, and how they helped you? I've had several. I have worked for some really wonderful, wonderful folks, but a couple of them very intentional in developing leadership capabilities. And um, probably one of the finest was the executive director of our our home care agency. And I had never any intention of uh, moving into the administrator position. And she came to me four times and said, you, you really should think about this position. And I kind of thought, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have my master's, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, no, I think you would do well at it, but I think you would really enjoy it. Um, and one of the things that I learned over the years when I started college, I really was interested in nursing, but I was really interested in finance as well. And I ended up for, you know, the convenience at that time was to go to nursing school, thinking yeah. back to 35 years ago. But I always had an interest in the financial end of it. And so I've always gravitated towards the positions that have a little bit more of that in them. Her name was Joe. Joe really brought that out in me, showed me how that part of it really was part of operations and nursing and I've really come to enjoy that a lot. I know you love to mentor other people and and you're such a great encourager. You know, how do you try to put that into practice in your everyday life? Well, I am privileged to have a lot of really talented people around me. And Mm -hmm. um, the leaders that work with me are also really skilled at identifying some of these folks. And so It is a core value of our larger organization to promote from within and to provide leadership opportunities. And so that is something we try to do um, pretty aggressively. I think you and I have talked about succession planning in the past, Marcel, Mm -hmm. and and that's an important piece of it is identifying uh, those folks who are up and coming leaders, either that have expressed interest in it or that we can see. Um, have the skills for it, even if they don't realize it, like uh, Joe did with me. And usually what we do is we'll offer them projects or something to work on even before they get into a management position. So they can kind of see, are they interested in doing some additional things and how do they do with it? You know, are they organized? Do they, are they creative? Are they able to take something from start to finish and and motivate folks to help them along the way? And to see some of the results of that, oh, so inspiring. It's wonderful. So I think it's just, you know, that encourage us management in return to do more of that because it has such a positive impact. Carolyn, you and I have, have both spoken on the different generations and you're younger than I am, but you're still in the baby boomer generation. And and I'm certain that the people that you are identifying would be at least, you know, 20 years, 10 years younger than you and probably raised in a different time. How do you wrap your arms around just the differences in how people view the world? So my team and I have six folks who I work with on a regular basis and there are a few from every generation except Generation Z. Um, and we're pretty, yes, yes. Uh, we have all kind of been through, um, learning about the different generations and what qualities they bring to the table and what things they need to help them be optimized in, in their performance and their engagement with the work that they do. And so we're pretty frank about just talking about it. We do talk about it quite often and it, I think informs our 
sort of thought processes and decision making because we want to make sure that we have a workforce that spans all the generations. We actually have employees uh, all the way from the silence all the way down to Generation Z. You know, they have different interests, different needs, but it's just, I think, good management to make sure that your style is one that speaks to every generation. You know, okay. that's a real interesting area for me. And I think probably Marcel, you were someone that got me even more focused on that than, than I was <laughs> yeah. in the past. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. I think that working with different age groups, one, keeps us with a much more open perspective and, and two, just helps mold us to not getting so set in our ways. What kind of techniques do you, because um, I know you've done some creative things, uh, what kind of techniques do you do to motivate your team? to keep them. I know you're working with the elderly and you're working in the healthcare and, and um, you know, the elephant in the room these days is COVID. So, so tell me uh, what you do to motivate your teams in times like this. Boy, this is a tough time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, in the past, I would have said things like, you know, we look at data and we look at benchmarks and we look at What's the best quality of care and how can we make sure that we're there? And now it's a lot more about, you know, are you taking care of yourself? Are you working too much? Are you um, able to shut it off and spend some time with your family? And are you doing the same thing with your team? Because this is a time when it's impossible to do everything that we feel like we need to. Mm -hmm. So we have to really focus on self-preservation and remind each other to do that. I mean, early in in this time, early in the pandemic, my boss and I were kind of laughing the other day that we used to text each other to say, did you eat lunch? You know, because <laughs> we would forget. Well, I think COVID has been particularly hard on the people on the front lines and the people managing on the front lines. What What have been some of your biggest challenges as a leader during this, Carolyn? I think uh, the very the very first thing was really basic, and that is, um, can I do everything I, that we can to protect their safety, mm -hmm. um, to ensure that we have you know enough PPE to make sure that we're um, you know we have standards for how we use that PPE that is based you know are based in science and ensure that they're being protected. And after that, it was, you know, checking in on the things I talked about for leaders earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, are you taking care of yourself? Are you mm -hmm. looking out for each other? Are we able to protect the hours that they're working or the pay that they, you know, the salary that they make? Um, some of those really basic things. And then over time, as we learned that our staff are not becoming sick from the home health and hospice work that they're doing. The PPE is working and we're developing a competence in taking care of this really ill population. You get a little bit more confidence as a, as an organization. Communication, really, really important. Uh, we mm -hmm. maybe over communicated in the beginning. Um, things were changing pretty rapidly. So mm -hmm. we use email blast once a week that kind of summarized everything that was needed for all the companies where in the past those had only come from the directors of those of those companies we wanted to take some of the burden off them and then gradually we could kind of cut back on on some of that and normalize 
uh, a little bit more of the communications and the policies and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's an evolving time. And for those non-healthcare people listening, PPE is personal protective equipment, things like masks and gloves. And I, I don't know if you guys use face shields on top of the mask and gowns. Yes. And, and many yes, of the, we do. Yes, many of the things that we always have plenty of, but when you need a thousand times more than you typically do, it becomes a challenge, right, Carolyn? <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, and now we have been fortunate to stockpile uh, quite a bit and we feel really comfortable. But, you know, that's that's a later phase in this whole process. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And for you, from your whole journey, that began in March or hit? Yes, yes, mid-March. Mid-March, uh -huh. yep. Talk to me about the best employee you've ever had. Maybe one single person comes to mind and, and describe for us what qualities they had. It's hard to pick out one because I, <laughs> there are many, there are many, yeah. but you know, one that I have in mind is young person, but just extraordinarily energetic, creative, always can do, but still had you know, good boundaries for family. As a leader who has a large team or a lot that they're looking after, you can really think highly of those people that work day and night, but <laughs> you really want to be careful that, you know, yeah. I, I really want to be careful that I'm not uh, encouraging someone to do that, that I'm really highly valuing balance as well. And so um, thinking of this individual, she does have that balance. Um, mm. She does amazingly creative things that I would never think of. And that's what I just love to see when I look at her work. I think, you know, this organization is going to be in a really great place and it's oh. going to be a place that I never dreamed of. And I love that. It's so inspiring to me. And, and tell us a little bit about your organization. Cause I know, isn't it over a hundred years old? It is. Um, it is. Um, we were founded in uh, 1893 Wow. as a, a home for seven older ladies that didn't have anyone to take care of them. And it's grown over the years that for a long time, it was pretty exclusively continuing care retirement committee residential campuses. And about probably 25 years ago, our leadership decided that they knew really community services were really an important concept to develop a lot more fully. And so now we're at the place where our our home and community-based services are really much larger than our residential services. So I talked a little bit before about kind of all of the different kind of care structures that we have within that, but it includes home health, private duty home care, hospice, waiver services, uh, we have a PACE organization, we have a educational institute that trains hospice and palliative medicine fellows, as well as provides some educational experiences for uh, medical students and residents and nurses. And so really some neat things in addition to really what over the last 127 years has been our, our bread and butter, which has uh, been that on-campus residential living. You and I have talked before and that you guys have, I mean, that's a long time for a business to stay afloat and, and stay in the community and then grow and expand into different things. How do you think they've been able to sustain your culture? 
Our mission statement is pretty central. It is not just, you know, something that's in a book somewhere. It hangs in all of our boardrooms. It's sitting in my office right now. And it talks about how we serve and it attracts people that are interested in serving in that same way. So that's been a really consistent thing. In terms of our leadership, my boss is our CEO. She is, I think by my count, our third CEO in the past 45 years. So there's long and consistent leadership. Our CFO, I think he's been with our organization for 35 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm 21 years. I'm one of the shorter ones. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I think that helps. I think our, our team that recruit new staff really look hard for folks that are interested in, in serving that kind of um, mission focus. And so people come here because of that. And then once you develop a reputation for really good quality of care and quality outcomes, you know, then you get the best people that want to work in the organization too. So it becomes sort of a little bit self-sustaining in that way. You said your boss was a female. Were the bosses before her or the, the key president or... CEO before her, were they also female? They were not. She's, she is the first female CEO, and she also is a nurse by training. And what do you think your organization in particularly did to encourage women in, into the C-suite? I know our board has a specific interest in ensuring that there's, you know, gender equity and leadership. I think that our previous CEO also recognized in, in my boss that she absolutely had that capability. She's been with the organization, I think, 22 or 23 years. And her skills speak for themselves, too. I mean, I think she could compete favorably for many CEO jobs. But our board has always been very diversified in terms of men and women. So I think that's helpful. What do you think has been your biggest challenge from the leadership role overall? You have a, a home health experience as well, Marcel. And I think yes. for me, the thing that's been the most challenging probably is the way the reimbursement model has changed many times over the years. Mm -hmm. And it feels <laughs> like we need to reinvent the work that we do every year to make sure that we're doing it in a, a good quality way with, with good outcomes. If I were to advise leaders on anything in this realm, it's just to keep getting as much education and insight into this work as possible because it is ever-changing. Goodness. I think in the 80s is when healthcare really became a business instead of just a mission. The one thing that being older gives you is looking back and evaluating perhaps what you should have done or didn't do. But the whole reimbursement for healthcare is much more of a challenge than your average person walking down the street understands. And I can certainly, oh goodness, I can certainly understand that. If I was going to get my sci-fi crazy out, uh, I would say if there was anything in the world I could do, it would be time travel um, going forward and going back. But if you could visit your 22-year-old self or however you old you were when you graduated from uh, college, what would you tell her? What would be the advice that you would give her? I was 22, which seems like <laughs> such a long time ago. 
a um, long time ago. I, yeah, I would say I would say uh, to keep going to school. So uh -huh. keep going and start working, but get the master's, get the MBA while you're young. And I always thought I would go back and get it later. And I had a lot of interest in it. It just was never a good time. Yeah. And you always think it's going to be a better time later. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not. Uh, do it while you're young and you have all the energy in the world. So I would say that. Yes, yeah. Carolyn, I think, you know, I went back and got my master's when I was in my 50s, not because it would help me financially, but uh, that young self of mine also thought, oh, I'll, I'll have my master's uh, by the time before I'm 30. Um, <laughs> so uh, I had a lot of kids instead, uh, which were definitely worth it. But you, you are right uh, when it comes to do it when you're young and you have a lot of energy. However, I found I made better grades when I was old and didn't have a lot of energy. Yes. Uh, so I know you have given a whole lot to the healthcare community in, in your area. And then I can say on a national level, because I've sat with you on many committees, what are some of the benefits that you've received personally and professionally from your leadership experience? I haven't thought about it in that way before. I think yeah. that the experience of being able to participate in our National Association for Home Health and Hospice, for example, boy, I've learned a lot there. I didn't realize I was able to contribute until I started, you know, I, I thought I was there to just learn and, and um, then started being invited to participate in some committees and provide some presentations and boy, um, you learn a lot through doing that too. Um, <laughs> so I think that's something certainly I have a, a confidence now in my late fifties that I didn't have way back when I was 20 or 30. I think confidence is a big thing. And then learning how other people do things. I think those right. are so interesting to say, not that I ever thought I had, well, maybe when I was really young, I thought I had all the answers. Yeah, right. But you know, you, you learn more and more that there's a lot of times more than one answer to a problem. And um, some of that takes experimentation. Yes, you're uh, so right. You're so right. Carolyn, what inspires you? I mean, what gets you up in the morning and, and you're, maybe you're exhausted when you go to bed, but when you get up in the morning, you, you're full of life and you just feel good. Well, there's, there's a couple of things, you know, we always say our children and that is absolutely oh. true. You know, the, hope to make the, the world a, a better place. But really concretely in our organization, my mom, my husband's parents lived um, in our organization and, and we served them. My mom does now. And so that is a really concrete thing to me every morning that I know that I am getting up to make sure that we provide amazing services to 4,000 people that are just like my mom every day. Um, right. and that makes it really concrete that it's not just, it's not care. It is their services that enhance life, that, uh, make life vibrant for them. So that's, that's a very concrete thing. Also, the people I work with are, are mm -hmm. so inspiring. They do amazing work. And I know that we also provide 
some excellent opportunities. We have a lot of families that depend on our organization because their loved one works with us. And uh, that's, an, that's a really important thing to me too, to know that we need to do it right so that those families are all well supported. You mentioned children. I know you have a couple of those that are, are grown. You've had quite a career working outside the home. How did you do that? Do you have any tips uh, for, for when they're in the weeds of doing this? <laughs> oh, the mom, the mom years are, are tough. And, and that, you know, those years I'm talking about when, when your kids are at home and they need a lot. And uh, to that, I just say, you know, there's seasons in your life where you can do different things. The reason I stepped away from management 20 years ago for a couple of years were because my kids needed me more. And uh, it was, you know, just the perfect opportunity to be able to have a little a shorter day that I could be home with them after school got out in the kind of home health uh, work that I did as a nurse. And then there's times when, you know, I've had an empty nest for a lot of years. And if I want to work all day and all night, I, I mostly can do it. And I tell the folks that I work with too, you know, that whole journey about the seasons, because many of them, you know, I, as I mentioned, my team spans a lot of generations. So I have folks on my team that have teenagers and I have um, folks on my team that have one-year-olds. And um, <laughs> so, you know, you just kind of draw on that experience and say, um, you don't need to work all the time. <laughs> it's it's okay. Yeah. To, and and I think we, we have also used it to be able to retain some employees that would have quit otherwise by mm -hmm. allowing them to work from home, allowing them to work very, very part-time uh, knowing that it is just a season and they'll be back with us and then we've preserved that relationship for the long term. I would say to moms and dads out there, hang hang in there. There's times that are busier than others and it all seems to work out. Tell me about what books are your go-to books. I love books and so I I have a whole variety of them sitting around here and there. Oh, and I have a I have a bookshelf bookcase full of them here at the office too. But um, my very favorites for the longest time, it's been Good to Great by Jim Collins. I just mm -hmm. think it made it made me see business in a completely different way. That whole idea of getting the flywheel going in that, that it takes a long time to get things really going when you want to change something. But once it's going, it doesn't take a lot of effort to keep it going. And I've really found that to be so true. I think about that word picture a lot in, in, in my work and talk about it a lot too, probably. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In is mm -hmm. uh, fantastic. And I read it just a few years ago. I'd you know, been in the workforce for 30 years by the time I read it and was kind of astounded at some of the behaviors I recognized in myself that were <laughs> girl behaviors that I probably needed to work on 30 years ago. But <laughs> You know, Cheryl wasn't writing books for us then. So, but those are right. two of my very, very favorites, I would say. Right. Do you have any fiction ones? Do you read fiction, Carolyn? I will admit, I have not read books for fun in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of that might have to do but, with COVID. <laughs> I know. But uh, I love historical fiction. But The Nightingale, I, I just love that book. Anything to do with historical um, World War II kind of fiction. I love that. That's a great, a great yeah. book too. 
I have sold my business a couple years ago, and I, I must say I've, more, I've read more fiction, I guess, until we had the big reimbursement change uh, coming for home health, and then I just read regulations. I noticed you didn't mention that you love to just read the federal reg- regulations. I, I, I did huh. not mention that, but I have, <laughs> and those are some of the longer books that I've read. Oh, um, Absolutely. What um, what books, I, what kind of books do you like, Marcel? Oh gosh, I I love all kinds of books. Um, I in particularly love historical fiction. I love, and I can never say Auschwitz. So the Tattooist of Auschwitz uh, is one of the best. It it really kind of is a nonfiction because uh, it's based on a true story. Uh, so that's just one example. I have a whole when I and I've moved several times in the last. I'm in transit building a house, and so I you you get rid of a lot of things. But I had so many how-to books that I should be perfect. Um, how to exercise, how to diet, how to be a better leader. <laughs> I I had so many how-to books that I was thinking. Okay, um, <laughs> but but one of my basic books that I love is Developing the Leader Within You. I also love The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lynchiani. There's some, you know, real good basic things. Uh, and I don't know if you did this with your organization, but... I, uh, one of the things that I tried to encourage all my leaders to do and still encourage that is to take a book in a group and walk through the book and not just to read the book, but to walk through the book chapter by chapter and apply it to a situation that's happening live in your organization. Um, so that's been a really helpful thing for me. And it also to go through a book sometimes, it makes it third party. So it not be Carolyn or Marcel telling them. It would be, you know, an authoritative quote unquote source that might give them guidelines, but you can just um, talk about the application. One of these days, we will come out of this pandemic and we will come to the other side. I keep keep saying that. Uh, Just like, you know, you said at the beginning, supplies were so hard to find. Now you have a stockpile of those supplies. I have great faith that we'll come to the other side of this. But um, I believe the world will be changed in ways we don't even know. How do you feel those things if you're going to do a crystal ball prediction, how do you think they would have changed in 2024, 2025? Mm-hmm. Are, are people still going to be living in congregate living? Or, I mean, what do you think? That That is a, a good question and certainly something that we, we talk about ourselves too. And I, I talk about with my mom because she, she does live in our system. Um, but, you know, the pandemic's not the only thing going either. We also have this um, massive population shift that's going on with the boomers. And, you know, congregate living is a great way for people to share the same caregiver. 
You know, Mm -hmm. there will come a time that it doesn't matter uh, how much money someone has, there's not going to be enough care for them if everyone is going to have one-on-one care in a home. Yeah. Um, And it also, in a congregate setting, really, um, I think, provides some neat opportunities for socialization and so forth, too. So I think there will always be um, folks who want to live out their days at at home, in a private home, and there will always be folks who want to have a little bit more of a social setting. And that's great. So, but do I think that they'll evolve? Yeah, I think both of them will evolve quite a bit, certainly in the same way that we've seen our work change. You know, folks are who <laughs> never were interested in doing conference calls before are doing video conference calls now. And <laughs> We're excited about it because we can't see each other in person. We're just ridiculously excited to see each other on the screen. And um, (laughs) so (laughs) I know that we've given our IT department a workout and they have been great. But boy, we've seen a lot of technology happen really fast in in the care that we provide, more remote patient monitoring kinds of ways, as well as more video, uh, more ability to do video calls between uh, patients and families and our team. Uh, is going to be really important. And, you know, it's, it's good that that's good for care anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So those innovations that happened because of the pandemic that turned out to be a good idea anyway, those things will stick around. So it's interesting to think like what won't be here in a couple of years, you know, (laughs) how long is it um, before I'm comfortable, you know, being at a concert with 20,000 other Mm -hmm. people. I can't even imagine that, you know, Mm -hmm. but I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I was thinking too, you know, when you've been around in nursing for as long as we have been, Marcel, you, you look back on, you know, I had an N95 mask in my drawer that I was fitted for 10 years ago when, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I don't remember if it was H1N1 or some kind of uh, flu pandemic that we were worried uh-huh. about then, you know, a few years ago it was Ebola and we all had Ebola kits in our cars and things like that. Uh-huh. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you look back at those things and go, you know, wasn't that ridiculous that we did that? Well, you know, turns <laughs> yeah. out it wasn't ridiculous. So yeah, let's not forget that lesson um, yeah. as we go forward and make sure that we do have some stockpiles of the personal protective equipment around so that we're prepared, even though we hope Mm -hmm. something like this never happens again. When will we, you know, feel comfortable standing really close? I find myself stepping back because I, you know, I I think one of our big, you know, ways to prevent the spread is social distancing. And yet social distancing, we're People are social creatures. It's funny, just committees that you might only see that person once or twice a year. I find myself in a little bit of mourning because you get so hopeful that you're actually going to see someone face to face, even uh, if you don't. Or when is it going to be that we actually shake someone's hand and don't think, oh gosh, I've got to run, wash my hand. Right. (laughs) And I tend to be pretty... In a scale of one to 10, I try to be cautious, but not crazy. So because like you, healthcare people have always taken care of people with contagious diseases. 
and um, you have to be taught to be smart in your approach and not a nutcase. And it, it's really, it's really hard these days to decipher which one you're being on any given day. Well, I, I appreciate so much your time today. Is there any other bit of advice you want to give me or you want to give the audience today just about a journey in leadership? Is it worth it? It is absolutely worth it. And a bit of advice, I would say, if a mentor does not present themselves to you, don't be afraid to go looking for one. And Marcel, you have uh, been a mentor to me over the years, whether you realize it or not. And I really appreciate that. I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot from other uh, women and men that I've worked with. And boy, it's a great journey. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I'm so thankful that there are people like you and like your organization that truly still care about patients and care about people learning to serve others. And, and that's a big jewel in this world that we live in. And and I want to just, you can take it back to your organization today. The more I hear about them, the more I think they're doing the right thing and don't give up. So with that, I'll, I'll just end, Carolyn. And again, thank you. Thank you so much, Marcel.